The Holy Gospel according to Mark, the eighth chapter. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are set in your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. The Gospel of the Lord. The season of Lent begins every year with an ashen cross traced onto our foreheads accompanied by these words, from dust you came and to dust you shall return. On Ash Wednesday, I watched as a young mother carried her toddler down the center aisle. When she reached the station near the front, the woman swept her bangs aside and leaned forward to receive the cross. And then she moved to present her child to receive the cross. But that little one, she squirmed, she turned away, and she buried her head deeply into her mom's shoulder. No amount of coaxing from her mom or reassuring from her pastor persuaded her otherwise. She was having none of it. And I have to tell you, I couldn't help but think to myself, it really is surprising that more of us don't do the same thing. Because after all, those ancient words, from dust you came and to dust you shall return, those somber words are a judgment. They are a curse recorded in the very first book of the Bible, just barely three chapters in. They're part of the punishment pronounced by our Creator God just after the fall and just before Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden for eternity. So when a cross is traced on your forehead and someone says to you, from dust you came and to dust you shall return, it's understandable that one might want to turn the other way. In the story preceding our gospel for today, Jesus was talking with his disciples about his identity. And it's worth noting right here that we are just halfway through Mark's gospel and exactly who this Jesus is remains a big secret. Of course, we know his identity, but the disciples did not, or at least not so with any clarity, though, of course, there were all kinds of ideas about who Jesus was. Some said he was John the Baptist, others, Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. When asked, but you, who do you say that I am? It was Peter who spoke up first, boldly announcing you are the Messiah. Now, I don't know what Peter expected Jesus to say next, 
but I am quite certain that he did not, in his wildest imagination, anticipate that the conversation would take a sudden turn to talk about death. But that's exactly what happened. Peter's confession had barely left his lips when Jesus began to teach that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed. Peter couldn't bear to imagine, much less to hear such a thing about his Lord and Savior, the Messiah. If his mother had been present, I wouldn't be surprised to read that Peter squirmed and turned away and buried his head into her shoulder, but she wasn't. And so instead, Peter rebuked Jesus because when someone tells you that your savior is going to die, it's understandable that one might want to protest. An article in Time Magazine reported about a study that showed that people enjoy movies, books, and other stories more when they know the ending ahead of time. True. Two researchers organized an experiment where volunteers were given three stories of different genres written by well-known authors such as John Updike and Anton Chekhov. One of the stories had the spoiler in a separate paragraph, another had the spoiler worked into the opening paragraph, and the last one did not have any hint of the ending at all. The study revealed that participants most enjoyed the stories with the spoiler at the very beginning, even when the story had an unexpected twist ending or was a murder mystery. Surprised? While we are generally a people, known to be very careful not to reveal the ending before someone has come to it on their own so as not to spoil their experience of a good book or an exciting movie or an Olympic race that was finished yesterday but not yet shown on primetime television today. But as it turns out, we are happier knowing the outcome right up front. Maybe we shouldn't be all that surprised because as Christians, we do know the end. We know the end of the most important story of all time. We know how it all turns out. We know what that little child couldn't have known. We know that while the words from dust you came into dust you shall return are true, the ashen cross on our forehead testifies to a greater truth, death has been swallowed up in victory. And we know that God has promised that he will wipe away every tear from our eyes and mourning and crying and pain will be no more. And we know that we belong to a God who takes the dust we are made of and breathes new life into it and makes us rise anew every single day. We also know what Peter couldn't have known. We know that Jesus suffered, was rejected, and as he hung on the cross, he pleaded with his father saying, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We know that Jesus died and that his body was laid in a tomb and that a large stone was rolled into place, sealing the entrance, and then three days later, he rose from the dead exactly as he had promised. We know that the tomb could not contain him. 
We know that nothing can separate us from the abiding, never-ending, steadfast love, grace, and mercy of God. Nothing at all, not even death. And finally, we know that we have been promised a place at God's table, a room in God's mansion, and eternity lived in the presence of God. We are just 10 days into our 40-day Lenten journey, and the ashen cross marked on our foreheads has long ago disappeared. But what is left behind after the dust has been washed away is another cross, invisible, though permanent. I'm speaking of the cross marked with oil on your forehead on the day of your baptism when your pastor said to you, you are marked with the cross of Christ forever. Our experience of this world is forever informed by that cross, by the cross of Christ. And that means, as Paul wrote to the Corinthians, we are hard pressed on every side, but we are not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted but not ashamed, struck down but not destroyed, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us. Our knowledge of the end of the story, of how things will one day turn out, of where we are headed, heaven, of who will be there waiting for us, Jesus, of what we will be doing, singing all day and all night long, holy, holy, holy. All of that, all of it, is built upon the life-saving cross. And it is precisely because of that knowledge that we can approach death without fear and that we can bear an ashen cross traced on our foreheads along with the words, from dust you came and to dust you shall return. And it means that we can shout or cry or sing with absolute conviction these words from the prophet Isaiah. Surely it is God who saves me. I will trust in him and not be afraid, for the Lord is my stronghold and my sure defense. He will be my savior. Amen. <laughs>